Well, good morning, church. Hey, good to see you. I need to set something straight right off the bat. I love our coffee bar back there. <clears throat> I don't know if you've uh, been able to go back there. We have coffee and tea. <clears throat> I went back there this morning, and I saw something we need to stop right now. We have a tea option called Sweet Dreams. <clears throat> I just can't believe we offer this. It's just one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Sweet Dreams Herbal Tea, relaxing blend of comforting chamomile and soothing mint, caffeine-free, all natural. I'm thinking, caffeine-free, that's the last thing you need to offer in a church. Okay, that's, that's the end. Okay, extra caffeine, extra shots of everything back there for you people. Unbelievable. Okay. The Bible says, finish this for me, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people, exactly. And our culture says something similar. If you're not growing, you're, okay, you got it. Have you been on that tea? Is that what's going on? If you're not growing, you're going. You know, you, everyone's going somewhere. And so the idea is, truth be told, it's either forward motion or it's backward motion. The reality is there's, there's very little static. There's very little stationary, whether in marriage and family, personally, for a business, for a community. The same holds true for a church. There's very little in-between in life. And for the last two years in my experience with this church family here at East Bay Calvary, we've enjoyed some forward motion. We've really been blessed and, and we're very thankful. You know, we've added 150 new people in our worship services. We have dozens of new members and baptisms for which we're grateful. We have had... New babies just born all over the place here in our church, which is what you would expect when you hire a new pastor with seven children. But church growth is not an easy and sustainable thing in this region. And I'll tell you why. Because we've been interacting with this statistic here for the last two years. When I came here within a month, we threw up a chart, and it was a recent Barna survey two years ago, and the same holds true right now, and this is the reality, that 14, we are number 14 of the most de-churched regions in the United States of America. <clears throat> we want to continue to grow God's church, but the trend here in this region is people leave church. 40% of our population used to go to church but no longer does. And in general, and I realize this is a generalization, in general, it's not that they're done with God, but rather they're done with church. They feel it's failed them, that it's irrelevant, or that they have a better use of their time. And so what we're doing is we're gearing up for a vision-casting opportunity, and that's what we've done the past two weeks. That's what we're going to do Today and then next week, we are going to have the extreme treat and privilege of having our dear friend Ken Rudolph with us, and, uh, and I get to sit out there with you all and be fed and enjoy our time with him um, as he is amongst us. So here's this vision casting experience. In the fall, we're going to launch a much larger thing and enjoy that, but I want to work through with you if you grab your East Bay Weekly and flip over the back. Here's what we've been talking about and I want to finish up my uh, message from last week today. We talked two weeks ago about four considerations for catching vision. <clears throat> and, and we talked, number one, about the need to be missional. We need to turn our face back to the mission. We need to be missional. We need to do what is to the greatest advantage of the gospel today and not do what we do just for old time's sake. Number two, we need to turn our face back to the bay. And we've been discussing this, and we're going to talk about it more in detail in the fall, but we must strongly integrate the city into our outreach strategy. 
And we must be sensitive to the non-essential elements of our ministry that would be impediments to our efforts to reach the city. And I know that that's a mouthful. In the fall, we're going to talk about that even more. But there are things we may do that are non-essentials that may be impediments to the city. We need to talk about it. We need to take a different approach toward the D-Church, toward the 40%. And essentially, here's what it is. The D-Church have seen all of our stuff before, and they're not looking for it again. So what are they looking for? Here's number four. It's what we talked about two weeks ago. Ask less of programs, more of people. People today are looking for what they've been looking for all along. They're looking for authentic believers who will walk through life with them. Plain and simple. They're looking for authentic believers who will walk through life with them. They're really not looking for a prepackaged program. They're not. So last week we were in John 4. We looked at the Samaritans, who are a very good picture of the 40%. They used to be Jews, but now their race, religion, customs, politics were blended into the world around them and not like the religion that they grew up in. And we saw how Jesus went to Samaria and when all the religious Jews avoided Samaria and went around it and Jesus went into Samaria, he connected with a Samaritan woman who wasn't even accepted amongst her own and Jesus dealt with her with truth but with so much grace and love so different than the religious people of his day, so different than the religious people of our day and how we deal with people. And I'm just going to say it. So many today are far more interested in making a statement than they are in making an impact and making disciples. You know, it's really easy to, boom, put something up on Facebook or Twitter out something. It's far more easy to make a statement and blanket out a statement than it is to to really influence someone or build a relationship or make a disciple. It's harder. It takes more time. It's messy to get into their lives. It's difficult to build relationships, to listen, to care, to share, to live life with them and live in front of them, to invest in them, to influence them for the gospel. But that, folks, is the way of Jesus Christ. It is. He cared more about influence. He cared more about making an impact. He cared more about making disciples than he did about just making a statement. Jesus didn't do a hit and run. He got into their lives. He made a difference. That was last week. And I know you're saying, you did that in two minutes. How come you couldn't do it in two minutes last week? I know how you people think. This, we're going to be working through, you know, it takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup. There's a refinement process. And we've been boiling this thing for two years And I know that even through the next number of months, we're going to continue to boil this and work on it and think about it and pray about it. And and we're not going to get it all exactly perfect the first time through. I realize that. But our mission is so important. We have to do this. We've got to think critically. And, and so I just want to put out here, this is what we're going to be talking about this fall. What's going to drive us is the mission of God, the Great Commission. What's going to talk about how we do it, our strategy is going to be the Great Commandments. So here as you have your sheet here in front of you, this is our mission. This is what we've talked about for two years. Here's our mission. It's to make more and better disciples. If you've been with us for any length of time, that's not the first time you've heard it. To make more and better disciples. 
to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Our mission is based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Everyone can be a better follower or disciple, whether you're 8 or 80. It's just your next step. What's your next step? What's the, what's the, what's the thing beyond where you are How do I get closer to Jesus? What changes do I need to make to be more like him? That's what it is. It's our mission. Our vision. How do we focus that in? Who are we going to be looking at? Our vision is this. It's for the 40. Hashtag for the 40. We're going to refine this. But here's who we're looking at. Our area has a unique problem. We recognize that 40% of our population of our region used to go to church and no longer does. We need to change that, folks. We need to change that trend. We are for the 40. And here's the truth. If we don't do something about it, then not only do we not lower that percentage, but by our inaction, think about it, we continue to add to that percentage. Do you catch that? And I'm with you. I want to make a dent in this community for Jesus. I want to be a part of changing people's lives. I'd love to see a stat change because how God uses us together. And our vision is for the 40. Here's our strategy. And there's three primary portions of this strategy that I want to put out here, and we're going to talk about this as we finish up. This is how I was going to end my message last week. I told you this might be shorter this week. And if it is, we do have defibrillators in the back for those that this is really a shock to your heart. Here's our strategy to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped. There are three things. This is basically the greatest commandments all formed in one, our strategy. We want to encourage and equip people, number one, to pursue intimacy with God, number two, to pursue community with insiders, and number three, to pursue influence with outsiders so let's talk about it Jesus when he was confronted by the Pharisees so basically they had this ruler of the law come up to him and he basically wanted to trick him because there's hundreds of laws and they brought up one of their experts to trick Jesus and, and to ask him which one is the main law Let's see if we can fool Jesus to see if there's some way that we can trick him. And so they pulled Jesus in and they said, hey, which one is the main law? Which one is the one that you think is the best one? And so Jesus answers in such a way that there's nothing that they could do about it. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Some of you may be familiar with the law that Jesus quotes. And here's what Jesus said. Do you know which one it was? Jesus says the greatest commandment of all is to, do you remember it? Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Yeah. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God. And then he said, and the second one is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. And then he said, because on these two laws hang all the others. On those two is everything. Like find all the others, all the 600 and some odd laws you have, and there's a connection that go back to those two Those two sum it all up, but those are the two biggies. So our strategy is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped 
to number one, pursue intimacy with God, to love God with all that they are. And so I want to give us three phrases to think through this strategy. And here's the first phrase to think through it. The first phrase is this, the first environment is in us. It's in us, it's personal, it's in our hearts. There's these two greatest commandments. There's loving God and and loving your neighbor, but the reality is the first greatest commandment that Jesus mentioned is from Deuteronomy 6.4. It's it's loving God and we realize it really isn't here. Some people end up thinking, you know, when when we're doing some kind of of special vision, they, they end up thinking, hey, is there going to be, is there going to be a special program? Is, is there going to be coffee? And are we doing something to the building? And, and that's instantly what people have in their mind. And, and so, you know, well, I've, how can you not have a program? I've, it, when there's a time and people get together, that means you have a program. And come on, we live in Traverse City. Yes, there'll be coffee. No, there will not be bedtime tea. And you know what? We are actually thinking about some things for our facility. But you know what? Here's the deal. You can do whatever you want with those things. If we don't love God, it all is for nothing. And here's how this works. Back in Deuteronomy, all the nations around, they all had gods. In fact, they had multiple gods. They had a rain god and a fertility god. And they had a harvest god. They had a sun god and a moon god. They had so many different gods that they worshipped. And that they hoped by, by adoring and by loving that maybe they would get what they need. And, and God told the Israelites, he said, you know, the Lord your God is one. So when he originally talked to him about loving the Lord your God, it wasn't a matter, the command wasn't, I want you to love. The command was... <clears throat> Who you love. You need to single out who you love. You need to focus your love. You need to narrow it down. You can't have an abundance. You can't spread your love out. You can't have a number of lovers. You need to say, I love one And it's all directed right there. And here's how this works for me. I've got a document dated November 4th, 1995. And it's on file in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it says that I belong to my wife. And she belongs to me. And so here's how this whole thing works. Say someone else comes along and says, I belong to them. My wife can pull out this document that is notarized. It's a legal document. And she can say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. He's mine. Now, the reality is she's never had to do that because not even my parents have wanted me back since we got married. But we said these words when we got married. And if you've been married, you probably have said something like this too. Forsaking all 
others. I give myself only to you. Remember some of those words? And so when God gives this command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the very first apologetic to our world. This is the first test that shows God, God, I'm all in. God, I really, I really believe I am truly your your follower. I don't have other lovers. I'm not following other ways. I'm not following myself. Others don't call the shots for me. I don't call the shots for me. You call the shots for me. I love you alone. Forsaking all others, I give myself only for you. And folks, that starts in here. And our primary passion is to set up environments that encourage and equip people to pursue intimacy with God. They love God. Because when we get to heaven, that matters to God. Amen? Big time. I have no idea where I am in my notes. Our world can sniff out if we truly love God. They know if this is a movement or if this is just a moment. They know if we mean it or if it's just the motions. They know if we just say it or if this is seared in our hearts. Do we find God only when we come to church or do we enjoy him all week long? And so this is where it all starts. Not with a program, not with coffee, not with building adjustments. It starts with what matters most to God And what we do must drive us toward loving God totally throughout the core of our being. So we want to set up environments that encourage and equip us to to pursue loving God toward intimacy with God. Here's number two. And obviously we want to have people pursue community with insiders. And so the very first command is love God. And then the second command that Jesus said, the second is like it, which is, let's make sure you're with me, the second command that Jesus gave is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've understood and and parceled that out in two different directions. To love your neighbor, there's neighbors on the inside, And so God wants us to love our neighbors, so the people around you on the inside of church, these are your neighbors, so just take a look around. These are people God wants you to love. Well, you seem discouraged now, don't you? Oh, boy, sorry about that. Um, So let's look at this. God wants us to pursue community with insiders. And I believe wholeheartedly community is where life change happens. And specifically, community is where sustained life change happens. Pursuing community with insiders. Now, we live in a day we have email, phones, cell phones, text, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. We have cars taxis, Ubers, Beta, 
We have our own airport in TC. We are within literally a few hours of our entire country's population. We live around many people. But here's the tragedy. We experience life deeply with very few and probably many of us experience life deeply with none. It's no wonder so many people, even in church, feel alone. They feel isolated, experiencing what one person calls, and wow, this is just packed, crowded loneliness. Have you ever experienced it? And it's not what God intended, especially for the church. Now, now think about this. Reason through this with me. If our love for God authenticates our faith to the world, if they see this is real, they really mean it. They really love God. If our love for God authenticates our faith to the world, listen to these verses. Look at how our community with insiders authenticates our faith to the world. Think about this. John 17, 20 through 21. Here's the words of Jesus. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that Listen to this. So that the world may believe that you sent me. What? Do you feel the weight of that statement? Jesus is saying that the credibility of his life and message is in the eyes of unbelievers, is dependent on the way his followers relate to one another. Somehow their belief and our behavior together are connected. I mean, that's amazing. Man, with these lights going on, I really hope you didn't do that tea now. What a weighty statement. Jesus saying... I'm praying that they're one because if they are, the world is going to believe in me. Here's another one Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another, he told his disciples. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, check this one out, by this everyone will know that you're my followers if you have love for one another, what? Everyone will know that you follow Jesus if you love one another. Francis Schaeffer, tremendous philosopher and theologian, put it this way. He said, Christian community is the final apologetic Christian community tells our world this is real they can't argue with it and then there's the 59 one another's given to the New Testament church and we see the, the church exploding with exponential growth as it quote, built itself up in love, and our love for one another authenticates our faith in Jesus to a watching world. And biblical community, we are in each other's homes. Sometimes we are in each other's arms. Sometimes we're in each other's faces. We're in each other's lives. 
There's the ABCs. There's accountability. There's belonging. There's care. But the stakes are so incredibly high. That's why we can't settle for anything less than Jesus' vision for community, for unity in his church. The credibility of the gospel is at stake. And here's the last one I want to give you. In this passion, in this vision, in this strategy for for church and creating environments all centered around the two greatest commandments where we pursue intimacy with God, community with insiders, and then the last one is pursuing influence with outsiders. This is the one where maybe it gets a little uncomfortable. And we're going to nudge into this a little bit. Pursuing influence with outsiders, loving your neighbor as yourself. So here we are, community with insiders. Now how do we relate with those who are outsiders? How do we relate to those on the outside of this building those who are in our community, those who don't believe what we do, maybe those who are even opposed to what we do. Look at the influence Jesus exerted on those outside of religion. And I really believe to pursue influence, you've got to care. Jesus cared about the outsiders. He took the time. We talked about the woman at the well last week. How she wasn't even accepted in her society. And Jesus went to her and he spent time with her and he talked to her and he did speak truth to her. He wasn't concerned about making a statement, remember. He was concerned about influence and grace and making a disciple. I remember a number of years ago, boy, I, this probably close to 15 years ago, I was working with a couple, and they had come to uh, a ministry that I was involved in, and, and I'm going to say some things, and folks, I, I realize if I say something, and if it is in your situation in life, I am, I am not saying this in a demeaning way. Um, so please understand my heart in this. I'm saying this because I need to illustrate this so we can understand where Jesus was in this. There was, a, there was a couple that came to a ministry that I was in. And this is where they were. They were de-churched. They had been outside of church ministry for quite a while. They were living together. They were not married there was a teenage child that they had that I can't remember which, which one the child belonged to, and they, were, they had come to church. Politically, I remember that the wife was the exact opposite of anything I would have ever been. It was amazing. And he, he was the most mechanically amazing individual he took a diesel engine i i don't know how he did this he took a diesel engine and was able to run it on used fry vat oil from mcdonald's have you ever heard of that and i'm telling you i never heard of it all I knew is when he pulled into the church parking lot, that was the most awesome-smelling exhaust I have ever smelled in my entire life. And then he's like, man, I could show you how to do this with your wife's minivan. I'm thinking, that would be sweet. And We digress. Okay, so, and I remember I was building a relationship and connecting with them. And it was a sensitive situation. It was a very sensitive situation. And then there was a woman from our church. And she came up to me 
And she says, Pastor, someone needs to confront them. Because they're living together and they're not married. Do you feel the tension? I said, I, I understand, like, I have the same goal, I have the same passion, like, I, I'm trying to build influence here and And if you don't say something, then you're just condoning it. And you've got to tell them right now. And I'm telling you, she turned from me and she went over to them and she took matters into her own hands. And I never saw them again. And I'm telling you, I have replayed that in my mind a hundred times. And sometimes I've wondered, because I've been guilted into, so am I weak. Because it's how I've been told. But then I thought, so is Jesus weak? And then I realized, you know what? I really wish she was as passionate about influencing them. I wish she was as passionate about coming alongside of them. I wish she had spent her time in going over to them to build into their life. I think she could have had more effectiveness in building into their life rather than just going to make a statement. If she was more concerned about making a disciple and making a difference, and making an impact, rather than just making a statement. She could have achieved the same goal. Jesus ended up achieving that goal. And he achieved it with influence, and with impact, and with love, and with grace. And he did it over and over and over again. Taylor Swift has come out with a new song called You Need to Calm Down. Portrays Christians as ignorant who just make posters with sayings like Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And in it we scream and shout and protest and all we do is make statements And I I certainly disagree with her gingerly handling of the other side like they don't do anything like that. But the truth be told, Christians are either silent or we are compliant or we are complainers. But few are difference makers like Jesus. He was known as a friend of sinners. He was mocked by the religious for hanging with sinners and with thieves, and with the impure. He seemed to be concerned for them more than he was concerned about his own reputation. And then there are those, and I have been there, sometimes we say, but I don't know enough. I don't know enough to even do anything. I wish I knew more. 
I don't have enough education. I don't even know what to say. And that becomes our excuse to say nothing. And then I think of the woman at the well who didn't know anything. All she knew is Jesus told her her life was in shambles and she believed in him and she turned around and told all of Samaria. She knew her life was messed up. She told her live-in boyfriend. And then she started telling everyone else that she came in contact with and people believed her story. Because they knew her life was messed up too and they believed her. And this is that blank that probably you're wondering, is he ever going to give me the answer to? Is it because we don't know and I'm just being honest because I've been there, or is it because we don't care? Maybe you don't know this. I delivered our fifth child on the living room couch, and it was not planned, folks. Some people plan these things. And it's all cool and calm and all. For us, it was like, whoa, you know. And I had the phone here, and I'm talking to 911, and, you know. Um, and, you know, I could say, I don't know how to do this, so I'm not doing it. There was no option. I did it. And you know why I did it? Because I cared. I remember one day I was coming down a hill on my way to work in New York and I looked down the bottom of the hill about 7.30 in the morning and there were two cars that had collided front end and airbags had deployed. I remember there was a woman laying in the middle of the road and there was blood all around her head. And guess how much I knew of what to do? Nothing. And I got out of my car. And I called 911. I took my outer shirt off and I just put it on her head and I started to sop up some of the blood that was there. And I didn't know what to do, but I cared. I remember being called by the hospital one day and they said, I need you to come in because there's a woman in here and her house just burned down and she just lost her husband and her two boys. I don't know what to do. There is no class for that, folks. There's no class that you can go to anywhere that says, here's what you do when someone loses their husband and two boys in a fire. So I'll be right there. I remember this, my very first counseling situation as a pastor, this couple shows up, they were in their 40s, I didn't know why they were calling. They weren't even in my church. They showed up and they sit down. And they made an appointment through my secretary. And I'm thinking, why in the world are you here? I don't even know who you are. I didn't tell them that. You know, it sounds unprofessional. Well, hello, how, how can I help you? And like, so they introduced themselves. And I, I said, well, how can I help you? And they said, well, our pastor recommended you to us. I said, well, that's nice. I'm thinking, how come you're not going to your pastor then? And then they told me the reason why we're not going to our pastor is because my wife had an affair with my pastor. I don't know how to handle that. You might be sitting there saying, we didn't realize we hired such an unqualified pastor. 
But folks, this is life. It's not always about how much you know. It's about how much you care. It's about being there. Because the truth is, if you care, you'll find out. I remember this one guy uh, in the community back in New York. He is really into NASCAR, and I'm just about to offend every NASCAR person here. I hate NASCAR. I just hate it, man. Like, oh, let's turn left again. Wow. Let's, and left. This is really exciting. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, I'm going to befriend him, so I better start figuring out what NASCAR is, you know, and it's during NFL, like, come on. I know, some of you feel my pain. So I started reading up on it and checking it out a little bit and trying to figure out a little bit about NASCAR. And this was back in the day, like, the two big guys were, um, was it, Tony Stewart? Am I right? And Jimmy Johnson? Those are the two big guys, Tony Stewart and Jimmy Johnson. So I'm like, Got to get it right, Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson. So trying to get all the facts and figures right. <clears throat> I remember going to this guy and talking to him. I'm like, okay, got it all right. And I walk into him, and I'm like, yeah, I watched it the other day. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart, he was great. <laughs> Guy's like, what? what kind of nut are you, man? <laughs> Anyways, it was a wonderful life. It really was, which is great. I think you realize I didn't know a whole lot about NASCAR. I really believe that deep down, folks, people have a need. Our community has a need, and they are trying to find the answer. They're desperately trying to find the answer. At the bottom of an empty bottle... under the sheets with a person. Maybe it's in a same-sex relationship or maybe it's in multiple relationships or maybe it's in making purchases or maybe it's arousal through porn. Maybe I'll fill my emptiness with money or feel secure with recognition or popularity or there's, there's an emptiness and despite the temporary laughter they will need more than a booklet. They will need more than instruction. They will need to see that this thing is so real. They need to see that this God is real, that we just don't fill up time on Sunday, that we really love him. That we have forsaken all others, folks that we've given ourselves only for him. And that we're really a community like we're all in. We're all in for him. We're all in for each other. And then we want to have influence on our world. This is a place they can safely belong. It's our vision. We're for the 40. The cool thing is you don't have to wait until the fall to start passionately pursuing God or pursuing community or influence with outsiders. We can do it now. So I want to ask if you would, even right now, would you stand with me and with your eyes closed inside? Is there one of these that has really touched your heart? Forsaking all others, 
pursuing community with others, not walking through life alone, or pursuing influence with outsiders? Is there one that's really touched your heart? Because folks, our world desperately needs authentic believers. Which one's touched you? Would you talk to God about it in your heart? Would you let God's spirit work in your life right now? Would you let him work in your heart right now? Would you make a decision in your life? God, that's me. I want to connect in a small group. I want to, I want to talk to staff. I want to get with a believer. I want to get with a group of believers right now. I, I'm tired of walking by myself. Or God, I want to give my life to you alone. I'm tired of me calling the shots. I'm tired of letting others call my shots. Would you talk to God in the silence right now? Would you make a promise with him right now? And God, you hear our heart. Work in us. Make a difference in this place. We don't just want to do church, God. We want to be your church. We want to leave this building and take the church into this community and influence and take that 40%. Change that number for your honor and your glory. And all of you space said,